0: Welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle Hot Off the Press podcast, where we bring you the latest higher ed news and stories twice monthly. I'm Joe Treno, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chase Good. We are with Barry Dunn's Higher Ed Management and IT Consulting team. Hi, Chase. How are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing good. Good to have you again on another episode. On today's podcast, we'll uh, we'll look at increasing uh, community college funding and share the latest news on student loan forgiveness. So some interesting topics there, you want to dive right in?
1: Yeah, Joe. So getting right into it, there was a recent report published by the Hetchinger that found that two-year community colleges have received six percent more in public funding than four inst- four-year institutions last year. This is a reversal uh, from 2019, when two-year uh, univer- or two-year colleges received five percent less funding than four-year universities. And you know, this has really been interesting because uh, since 2001, uh, there was a steady decline in local appropriations uh, per full-time student at public institutions that's both two and four years that only recently started to gain uh our traction back in 2016 so for perspective the average funding uh, per student in 2001 was just over eight thousand dollars which declined below five thousand in 2012 to around nine thousand today so according to the report um There were the increase in funding for two-year institutions uh, did bring that number above 9,000, whereas uh, four-year institutions were uh, right at about 8,900. And, you know, this is you know, there there are multiple different factors that are driving this increase in public funding. And, you know, some have pointed to the rising cost of living in some of these areas with higher property taxes that are being used to fund these uh, two-year and four-year institutions. And it should be noted that uh, two-year institutions uh, receive about 80% of their revenue from public uh, funding, whereas uh, public institutions receive just around 50%. And the rest of that is coming from tuition payments. Um, Speaking of other uh, sources of funding and and where that funding is actually going, there was uh, another report that was published about the increase in investment into into student information systems, um, which has almost doubled uh, in 2021 compared to 2020. That's the largest increase in over Mm. a decade. And so many colleges are hesitant to move to a cloud student information system because these products still can lack some functionality. Um, but there was a, a study that focused on more than 3,600 U.S. institutions um, that really found uh, some really interesting details uh, about what schools are prioritizing the investment into some of those new technologies. So the study found that um, smaller institutions are more likely to pol- or to Uh, seek out investment into a new student information system. So colleges with uh, less than 5,000 students represented 72% of the total selections of new technology, even though they only enrolled 21% of students, whereas institutions with more than 10,000 full-time students accounted for just 5% of the student information system selections in 2021. So it really is interesting to see the, the pressures that a lot of these schools are facing, specifically driven by the size of their institution. Mm. And, and keeping in mind that there's really only six vendors that have at least 1% of the market share in higher education student information systems. And those vendors are Anthology, Ellucian, Ginzabar, Oracle, Thesis, and of course, Workday so I'm curious Joe what has been your experience in some of these vendors do you think that there's other causes that are probably driving some of the you know investments from these smaller schools and, and not from the larger schools or what have you seen in your experience
0: yeah that's a good question this is this a great I think a, a great headline uh, news story um, you know we certainly in our experience have seen in the last couple years with with COVID, a slowdown in these types of projects. Um, Those institutions that were considering projects um, moving to a new student information system or even a new ERP, really put those projects on pause. And institutions that were already started down the path continued. But there was a significant number of institutions that we saw really put a pause on those projects. the investment is significant for for these institutions, uh, as we all know. And um, you know, the uncertainty of uh, the start of COVID um, just put the fear in a lot of institutions of, of just not knowing really what things would would shake out to be. So, really, just putting those those heavy investments on pause. And I think we've we've seen really the pause come off last year. I think we've seen a, a, a uptick in these projects. Um, Smaller schools, you know, I think um, certainly the the systems that they're selecting are maybe not as expensive as a workday, but I think from a percentage standpoint, it's still a significant investment. And, um, you know, the smaller schools uh, moving to a, an online environment really saw the need uh, to move to uh, the more Modern ERP or student information systems really to provide that uh, that level of service to their students. Um, you know, it's interesting about uh, the 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 vendors that are in play here, and certainly uh, we we have seen a lot of institutions put a pause um, on these type of projects. In addition to what I just mentioned, but also just waiting, um, waiting to see what happens, what shakes out. Um, a lot of institutions feel that the the cloud-based ERP and student information systems just aren't mature enough, and they want to see how it shakes out, and and also to see um, these uh, these providers have their solutions more mature prior to committing to to moving to a new solution. So those are just some of the, some of the things that we've learned in speaking with our clients. Um, so it's interesting to to see the um, you know the the movement and we certainly uh, have witnessed it from from a number of uh, clients that we have spoken to so good good news item
1: And, and Joe I have to ask your opinion on this question but with you know some of those vendors that I mentioned specifically thinking about Oracle and Workday they are not higher education native. They're not specific to higher ed. However, they are developing these products that they're marketing to colleges and universities. And you mentioned that there's a waiting aspect um, from some of those larger schools in terms of that maturity and product development that they're looking for. Do you think that the non-higher ed focused uh, student information and ERP vendors will overtake some of those vendors that are more um, specific to higher ed? Or do you think that there's going to be a leveling in the Market,
0: um, you know that's a that's a good question. I don't I don't know if I have the answer to that, but I will say that um, you know Workday Workday is catching up. Workday uh, was originally focused on HR and finance, and the student was really one of the last components that they've they continue to work on. But it's it's the last uh, component um, for higher ed that was really um, needed. And so that's why we're starting to see a lot of interest in Workday. Um, You know, Oracle and people's, you know, Oracle certainly has the PeopleSoft um, component for student and Oracle Cloud, I don't think has really been adopted uh, as much as some of um, some of the other vendors that we're seeing some movement on. Certainly Anthology um, has a very strong student uh, component. Um, but you know these these vendors have different offerings for for different institutions and so the smaller institutions certainly may not be able to afford a workday or an oracle and maybe that's a little um uh, you know over over uh overkill or oversized for a smaller institution and where maybe a gens Bar or an anthology or a banner uh, or even colleague for that matter uh, would be a better solution so um, you know we we did a podcast uh, last month with Dave Hull, who spends a lot of his time in the ERP space. And it was really fascinating to hear his, his takeaways on that discussion around these vendors. And certainly um, we're seeing a lot of movement right now and, and uh, Anthology and Workday seem to be going head to head in trying to, these, trying to really uh, select, be selected by these larger institutions that are moving. Um, to uh, more cloud-based or native uh, cloud uh, solutions. So a lot of movement right now, and it's still early, you know, so.
1: Definitely going to have to wait and see. Well, the last thing that I wanted to touch on today was the pros and cons of student loan forgiveness. So this was a a policy item that uh, the current president uh, included in his administration. Um, You know, this was something that he mentioned on his campaign, and it entails a current plan of 25 billion dollars in student loan forgiveness primarily driven by the effects of the pandemic as well as you know some of the other economic pressures that uh, we're seeing and you know the case is is quite strong on either side i think you know with the the you know, the pros of student loan forgiveness from you know, some of the, the articles that I've read uh, you know, include the fact that college has increased in price. So you know, as the cost of tuition goes up, students are having a harder time paying those loans back. Uh, again, starting salaries can also differ and affect how um, quickly some of those loans are repaid. And, you know, 18% of borrowers still continued to make uh, loan payments in, even in the pandemic, which, you know, is not a very high number, but it does speak to the fact that there were some that, you know, continued to make those payments even though there was a pause uh, on the requirements for them to do so. And, you know, of course, there's the moral, uh, argument behind it you know debt forgiveness can't is empathetic and loan forgiveness um could be you know the democratic party one of their you know key drivers for some of their midterm um you know, policies in turn, but then in terms of, you know, the effects, uh, the more negative effects or the other side, you know, you're, you're thinking about what are the effects going to be on inflation? Um, the fact that this would only apply to the, uh, former students who are making $125,000 or less per year. Um, the fact that there are many students who have already repaid their loans. And so they wouldn't be benefited by, um, you know, the student loan forgiveness. And, you know, there's, there's still the consideration of, the fact that only forty percent of Americans over the age of twenty-five have a college degree and, and would benefit from a program like this. So, you know, I think that there's definitely some arguments to be made on both sides. But in terms of what you're seeing, what what do you think would be the best approach towards you know managing something like this?
0: Boy, I tell you, that's a tough question. I you know, I certainly see uh, both sides. And I don't know, um, you know, what what really is the best solution going forward. I I do I do feel that regardless of what the outcome is um, for student loan forgiveness, where it stands today, I think going forward we have to figure out a way to make tuition more uh, affordable for students going forward. And um, you know, there's a variety of different uh, programs that. That are being looked at. Um, you know, we've we've heard uh, free free uh, community college in some states that's being considered. Um, I I think there may have been a few pilot programs, and I don't know how successful they've been, but I, I don't know if that's sustainable. Um, and uh, you know, there's always this uh, argument that uh, tuition uh, costs uh, continue to increase, and that the cost of running a an institution is extremely high because of salaries and because of IT. And so we hear all of this and, um, you know, it begs the question, really, what makes sense going forward um, to to be able to provide an affordable solution for education for, for everyone, uh, whether you're a degree seeker or, um, you know, you're looking just for a two-year program. I, I think uh, it's important because I think the – the cost, the more cost prohibitive we make this, or if we continue to just, um, have individuals take out loans that they're going to be very difficult to repay. I think we're doing a disservice. And I think, um, you know, education is important. Like you, like you mentioned, um, you know, the statistics show that those that have degrees, um, can earn more over the course of their career by having those degrees. Um, but it's not just, not just getting degrees. Right. So we, we look at um, technical programs that give people the skills needed for a job. I think it needs to be, um, you know, I think uh, in, in a good uh, ratio of what they can earn versus what they have to invest in the education or the, or the training that they have to take. So um, it doesn't make sense to pay a hundred thousand dollars for, you know, um, some additional skills that, that help you land a a $30,000 job or for example. So, um, I think it needs to be, um, needs to be realistic, I guess is what I'm driving at here, but I don't know. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough, um, I think decision that needs to be made and it'll be interesting to see what the administration does, um, soon. I think it's going to happen the next month or so. I think we're going to hear something, but yeah, yeah, those well, are just some thoughts that I have there.
1: Yeah, I think we'll just have to wait and see and, you know, to your point, this is not something that just a one-time forgiveness payment can fix. You know, there is some underlying um systems that really could be uh could use some changes that really would benefit society as a whole.
0: Yeah, it's more it has to be approached systemically and not just this one-time forgiveness because um we're going to continue to see this problem, you know. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's a great that's a great point. But you know, hopefully, at least in the short term, you know, we can uh, figure out how to to navigate this this tricky environment, and um, we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yes. Well, thanks, Chase. I think that uh, I think that wraps up this week's episode. We've covered quite a bit, and as far as um, you know, loan forgiveness and community college increase in investments. So good, good topics this week, and I look forward to our next, uh, our next episode. Thanks again for sharing these uh, latest news highlights, Chase, and I'll see you in two weeks.
1: Sounds great, Joe. Looking forward right. to it.
0: For our listeners, if you wish to read more about these new news items, please refer to our show notes. For links to these stories, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google. Check back in two weeks, as I mentioned, for more higher ed news from Jason and I. Till then, stay well.